Thank you, Dottie, and worship team, and Colleen, and the kids for leading us in worship this morning. And please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 38. And when you find that, please stand with me, if you are able, as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26, we're going to be reading the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Lord God, we ask you that you would open our eyes this morning, that we would see wonderful things in your word today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. Well, if there's one thing we know, life is unpredictable. Things can change so quickly. People die. Babies are born. Tragic accidents happen. And wonderful things occur. UCLA beats USC in football. One day, life changed quickly for Mary. She is minding her own business when all of the sudden, she is paid a visit by this visitor, the angel Gabriel. Nothing would ever be the same. As this visit unfolds, the first thing we see is God's choice. That the message to Mary spelled out what God was going to do. Now, how did God choose to enter the world that he created? He chose to enter by choosing a virgin for Jesus' mother. This was God's choice. The angel comes to Mary in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. And God sent Gabriel to Nazareth, of all places, 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem, a place that was known for its corruption and for its low morals. And Gabriel was sent to speak to Mary, 
Her name means their rebellion. An amazing thing about Christmas is it's about God, the creator of the universe, injecting himself in the person of Jesus Christ into the universe he created, a universe that was in active rebellion against him. And God would answer the rebellion of his people with a promised Savior. Why a virgin birth? We don't need to go outside the text to find out. All we need to do is look at verse 35. In verse 35, we're told that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary. The power of the Most High would overshadow her. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be known as the Son of God. You see, verse 35 shows us why it would be a virgin birth. So that the fatherhood of this child would be absolutely unique. He is the Son of God, not the Son of Joseph. He has a divine father, not a biological human father. A virgin birth fulfilled Isaiah 7, 14, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And we cannot overestimate or overstate the importance of the virgin birth. A correct biblical view of the incarnation rests on the fact that Jesus was virgin born. And the way that Jesus was conceived points to his sinlessness. That if the child had been born of an earthly father and mother, he would have had a sin nature. The virgin birth also testifies to Christ's deity, the fact that he is God. But the pre-existence of Christ is taught all throughout Scripture. But the virgin birth is where the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, brought about a miracle whereby the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, took upon himself a human nature so that he became a man. And as John Piper said, God enters his creation as part of it without ceasing to be uncreated God. So God chose a virgin as Jesus' mother. He also chose an heir of David's throne as Jesus' earthly father. For 2,000 years, God had been prepping his people for this moment. His promises point toward a day when a son of David would come who was an heir to the throne. In the book of Revelation, Jesus himself says this, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And Joseph is a descendant of David. The royal line is passed through Jesus' legal father. And his physical descent from David is established by Mary's lineage. Jesus would not be any mere human, but he would be a Jew, fulfilling 2,000 years of covenant promises to the people of God that they would glorify God for his faithfulness and that the nations would glorify him for his mercy. The son of David and the son of God, a Jew to conform to the promises and a man to identify with the Gentiles. In verse 28, Mary is called a highly favored one. 
She was the recipient of God's grace. She was full of God's grace. Very similar wording is used. Actually, the only other time this word is used is in Ephesians 1.6, where the grace of God is said to be given to all believers apart from any merit on their own. It shows Mary as the recipient of grace, not the dispenser of grace. Mary has found favor with God. She is the recipient of His grace, and so she can say, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In Luke 11, someone tries to lift Mary up higher than she ought to be, and Jesus' response was, No. But blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now in verse 29, we read that Mary, when she gets this news from Gabriel, is perplexed. She's confused. She's frightened. She had been chosen by God for a very special assignment. And have you ever thought, wow, how wonderful for Mary. How awesome for Mary. What a privilege to be Chosen to be the mother of the Savior of the world. But have you also ever thought, wow, how scary for Mary? How frightening? How unsettling? How earth-shaking and shattering? What a frightening thing for a young teenager to go through. In verse 30, the angel says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. God gives reassurance. You see, God's grace, like his love, chases away fear, eliminates it. The angel says, you have favor with God. Very similar wording to what is said of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, that he had found favor with God. But you know, the entire context of Christmas hinges upon God himself. It started with him. It came from him, the angel was sent by him, from him, and Christmas has no biblical meaning apart from God and apart from his choices. But what would be the outcome of God's choice? Who would be the outcome of God's choice? A king. There are three words in verses 32 and 33 that signify the fact that a king would come, that he would have a throne, that he would reign, and that he would have a kingdom that would not end. I want to point out five things in this passage that shows what kind of king he would be and what difference his kingship would make. In verse 31, Mary is given these words, you will conceive... The wording here points to the fact that it will happen soon, uh, immediately. God is doing an unexpected thing here. He says, you will bear a son, and you will name him a very special name. A name that is above every name. A name that at which every knee someday will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He says, you will name him Jesus. It's interesting how we throw Jesus' name around a lot in our culture and in our society. But God the Father chose the name for God the Son, Jesus. 
Jesus is a Greek word, Jesus, that's transliterated and corresponds to the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, pre-existent deity, God manifested in human form, born of a virgin, a sinless Savior, crucified for our sins, resurrected bodily from the dead, ascended to heaven, and coming back, God the Father chose this name. He called His Son Savior. And this King would be a Savior for all who would believe. And that's not all. In verse 32, we read that He will be great. It's a Greek word, mega. It means that He will be powerful, that He will be important, awesome, mighty. He will be a great king in importance and in power. It's interesting that John the Baptist, it is said of him earlier in this chapter that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Of Jesus, it is said, he will be great because he is the Lord. Now, what else do we read about him? In verse 35, we read that he will be holy. If you go to verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He would be pure, good, perfect, without blemish, without defect. There's hope for us in those words. That he is fit to die as a spotless lamb. Fit to die in our place. Fit to rule as a perfect king. You see, in our day and age, kings aren't the most popular because many of the rulers that we know to be king are evil rulers. In fact, unholy kings necessitate democracy. C.S. Lewis said, The real reason for democracy is mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. See, a perfect king would create perfect justice, perfect peace. This king would rule perfectly. He will be called the Son of God. He would be both God and man, divine and human. Divine as God's Son, human as Mary's Son, not just the King of Israel as the son of David, but the king of kings and lord of lords as the son of God. And he would rule with infinite power. One last thing is said about him in verse 33, that his kingdom would have no end. That he will never be replaced. That he will reign forever. That there will never be an election for new president of the universe. It's not going to happen. God entered the world he created to be an awesome, holy, divine, saving king forever. Now next we see how Mary responds to this message that she received from the angel Gabriel. She had just received some amazing news, shocking news. Awesome news. 
The way God had chosen for her was wonderful, but it was also loaded with human impossibilities and human problems. Her initial response, though, is amazing. It's one of wonder and amazement. In verse 34, Mary says, how can this be? Since I am a virgin, it's not humanly possible, but it is God's will. See, this is not the same unbelief that Zacharias had shown earlier when he had been given a similar message that John the Baptist would be born. He was old, his wife was advanced in years, they were beyond childbirth, and she had been barren, unable to bear kids. And he had received a similar message, but he did not believe. In fact, he asked for a a confirming sign, and so he was given a confirming sign. He was not able to speak until John the Baptist was born and named. But Mary's response here is not the unbelief of Zacharias, where he says, how shall I know this? Unlike Zechariah, Mary does not ask for a confirming sign. She merely asks for an explanation of how this miraculous event would take place since she was a virgin. Now, if you want to do an interesting study, go through Luke chapter 1 and observe the contrast between Zechariah and Mary. A very interesting contrast. Good study. What Mary does is ask for an explanation. And so what she gets is not a rebuke like Zechariah got, but minute detail of an explanation. In verse 35, Luke speaks of this spiritual overshadowing by God himself that would produce the Holy One within Mary. That the glory and the presence of God would overshadow her. In verse 36, she's told some more interesting news that even her relative Elizabeth was expecting a child, six months pregnant at the time. She was told that nothing would be impossible with God. God can do anything he wants, and he will do all that is within his will. So what does Mary say? In verse 38 we read, I am God's servant. Amazing response of faith that she yielded to God's plan, that she accepted his choice of her, but also his choice for her life. And she replied, may it be done to me according to your word. In essence, she's saying, thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen, so be it. What faith, what amazing faith. What trust in an awesome, holy, divine, saving king. And what a great example for us. But lastly, what I want to talk about is the so what question. See, we've seen how it was going to happen and who was going to come out of it. But now I want to ask the question of what about God's choice and our response? How does it relate to our lives? What can we learn from this passage? The first thing we see is that God chooses unlikely people and does unexpected things for his glory. 
Mary may not seem to you to be the most likely candidate for mother of the Savior of the world. But God chose to do the impossible through her. An amazing thing is that there was no objection on her part. You see, nothing is impossible with God is the answer of how God would become man in the womb of a virgin. In our lives, when we have exhausted all of our objections, the truth remains, nothing is too difficult for God. Now, we may feel unlikely. We may feel unworthy. We may experience unexpected things from the hand of God. But we can rest assured that nothing is impossible with him. You see, God shows his power and his greatness through the unlikely and unexpected. God's plan isn't always what we choose. Life doesn't go our way. We don't always get what we want. We get knocked off balance, blindsided by something we're not expecting. But we need to remember that God's vision is bigger than ours. See, we would choose the easier way, the less painful way. I know I would. I would choose the path of least resistance. I would choose the safe route. But God has a purpose in everything that happens. When everything happened to Job, Job replied at the death of his kids, at the theft of all he owned, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What faith. Then his health goes. And his wife says to him, Curse God and die. And his response is, Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? See, there is some good purpose that God wants to bring about, even when we don't understand. In Job chapter 42, Job says this. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing God wills and intends and plans can be stopped. He works all things together for good to those who love him. But there's something else that we observe. It's that humiliation and misunderstanding often follow those who follow God. You see, Mary was in a very embarrassing situation. A very difficult situation, humanly speaking. She was facing unwed motherhood. Joseph would have known the baby was not his. She would have been accused of adultery, in those days punishable by stoning. Joseph and Mary were both open to ridicule and to the judgment of others. You see, people won't always understand God's ways, in and outside the church. But everything comes down to our readiness To die to self. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, the cross in Roman times was designed for one thing, for dying. It had no other use. And it's the place where we put to death our pride and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
You see, God knows what he's doing. God's wisdom is greater than ours. His ways are higher than ours. But if we're honest, often what we want to do is ignore the truth. Just read the comforting parts. I don't know about you, but when I read the the Word of God, a lot of times what I want to do is skip over the painful stuff and read the stuff that makes me feel good. I'm the same way in life. Skip over the painful stuff, just bring the stuff that feels good. We don't want to leave out the pain because that is where God meets us at our point of deepest need. You know, it's interesting about that little devotional booklet we put together. Uh, I was looking at it last night, looking, up, looking forward to this week, and I realized that I had inadvertently omitted today's passage in the readings for this week. That it was going through Luke chapter 1 and 2, and I got down to it, and it was like conspicuously missing. The thing is, you can't leave the pain part of the story out. There's wonderful news in here, but there's also some human pain. That's how life is. By the way, if you're going through that booklet, just read this passage every day this week. You'll have it covered. You see, God sees the whole picture. God is sovereign. He is in control. And difficult things are often um, a magnet that God uses to draw us to himself. Draw us nearer to himself. And when we draw near to God, we have his assurance that he will draw near to us. You see, we need to yield to God's choice, to accept it, to embrace it. As Mary gladly was able to say, may it be done to me according to your word. The secret is in acceptance. One writer said this, acceptance is taking from God's hand absolutely anything he chooses to give us. Looking up into his face in love and trust, even in thanksgiving. Think about Mary's wonderful song in this very same chapter. The Magnificat. Filled with praise to God. Filled with allusions to his promises and the prophecies that were spoken years before. And also filled with this acceptance of God's will. This yielding to God. And part of the wonder of God's choice is that he gives us the gift of acceptance. The ability which comes from him to do what we otherwise could not do. You see, sometimes God in his sovereignty chooses some difficult way for us. Something uncomfortable, something that we would rather not face. A challenge, a burden, a problem. But you see, God's most wonderful plans most always involve human risk. They did with Noah. They did with Abraham. They did with David. They did with Moses and Esther and Ruth and and many, many others. But see, often we try to resist when God, what, what he wants us to do is accept his ways to accept his will. You know, if we knew the good that it would bring, we would wholeheartedly embrace it. And when we do, we have assurance just like Mary did, that God has our good and his glory 
in mind. That is what Jesus was focused on. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. He took the cross, the logical conclusion to his life on earth, and no one took his life from him. He willingly laid it down. And the punishment for our sin went all on Jesus. And although none of us deserves it, we are offered the gift of eternal life. Isn't that awesome? This Christmas, may we yield in wonder to God's choices. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for your goodness. Lord, we want to bow at your throne, thanking you for who you are, thanking you for what you do, and thanking you for the goodness, your goodness that we see all around us. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That verse that's up on the screen is a prayer. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I was thinking this morning, one of my first weeks with you, we prayed the Lord's Prayer together. And I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer and realized as I was praying it again this morning, it is saturated with the idea of acceptance, of looking to God. And so I want you to stand with me as we are going to be dismissed here. And let's pray together. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.